welcome back to Write Dammit with me, Zoe Richards, your host. This is the podcast for writers of all kinds who maybe get stuck with your writing. This podcast will help you get unstuck and help re-motivate you so that you get the writing done. Episode 13, How to Create Habits That Work For You by Nudging Your Upper Limit. So I guess one question to ask yourself is, did you know you have an upper limit and that you can nudge it? Let me start off by telling you a story. And this is something from way back in my life, more than 25 years ago. I experienced some pretty tough mental health issues and that resulted in me getting very close to taking my own life. So I'm actually a suicide survivor. Now, this isn't a story about why I decided to take my life. And it's not really a story of why I decided not to take my life. But actually, it is a story about what I had to do over the next few years. Because my habit of thinking that I was worthless, that I had no place in this world, that my family would be better off without me, that I was actually useless, that I was no good at my job, you know all the stuff, all of that negative, inner critic, self-talk, I'd made that into a habit. So for me to turn things around and survive, actually more than survive, for me to turn things around and turn into somebody who could be happy and is now very happy, I had to do things differently. And that meant I had to start off looking at my habits. Let me give you some examples of that. One is that I started off by doing something that my nana used to do. My nana also had mental health issues. She was on antidepressants for about 50 years of her life. And she told me one of the things that she did. And that's that you have three blessings every day. Now, we may not actually consider them to be blessings on a really good day, but she said every single day you will have three blessings. So look for them. They don't magically appear in front of you. They will be there. And she gave me some examples and I used those examples as a starting point and they helped to nudge me along. So for example, it was, uh, I got up out of bed today. That doesn't sound a big deal when you're somebody who gets up out of bed every day. If you're somebody who has suffered from the extremes of mental health issues, you'll get that, that there are days where you really can't get out of bed. So it's a huge bonus for your day, as my nana called it, a blessing for the day that you get out of bed. So that was one of my blessings. Another one was, I cleaned my teeth today. Yeah, another one that you'd think, come on, that's something that we all do every single day, isn't it? Well, actually, when you're at the depths of depression, you can find yourself not doing the basics of hygiene. So cleaning your teeth is a blessing. And it's a blessing for anyone who meets you as well, isn't it? Because they're not having to look at filthy teeth and smell your horrible breath. Things like that can be a blessing when you're at your absolute lowest. Why am I telling you this? Well, that's because if we're going to learn how to create habits that work for us by nudging our upper limit, we need to start off small. There's a guy called James Clear who wrote a book called Atomic Habits. And he says that he calls it atomic because atomic is tiny, really, really tiny habits. Another example is from David Brailsford, who is a performance director and he was the British cycling coach that took our 
British cycling team to being hugely successful from having been a team that used to get laughed at. And he did it by talking of the 1% change in our habits. And that's really critical. If we can just nudge our upper limit a little bit, if we can nudge our habits into something new just by 1%, that can make a significant change. So let's take this back a moment and think about why might we have habits that need to be changed? Well, the first thing is because every one of us has fears. I don't know about you, but I've had the, in terms of my writing, I've had the fear of failure, the fear that I'm actually going to get laughed at and ridiculed, the fear of not knowing. It's the unknown of the whole world of writing and and being published. But there's also one of a fear of success. What's going to happen? What will change if I am actually successful? Will I actually have peaked and I won't have anything left? I won't have a book two in me. Will the success go to my head? So there's lots of fears that we always have. And with those fears, we develop new habits. And we get in our own way, don't we? I mean, every one of us gets in our own way. Once we've managed one way in which we get in our own way, do you know, our clever brain creates another way. So we do complicate things for ourselves. And that means that we've got to look for a way in which we can just do that little nudge with our habits. What we want to do is look at what will help us to do those nudges. Now, I'm an expert in mindset changes. I do a lot of work around how you can deal with self-sabotage, how you can manage your procrastination and your perfectionism, your imposter syndrome. And that's something that quite often we find ourselves going to things like productivity hacks. So we're treating the symptom. We're not treating the root cause. What we want to do is actually look at who are we and who do we want to be? What beliefs do we currently hold and what beliefs do we want to hold to create that new identity? Do you want to be a writer? Do you want to be a published writer? Do you want to be an author who has a book launch? If you really do and if that's who you truly are, then you can start to find ways in which you can use those habits, use the productivity hacks to treat some of the symptoms because you actually truly have that identity of being a writer. I'm going to hazard a guess, though, that you're something like me, that you have moments where you believe, absolutely, I can do this. I'm a writer. I'm going to get my novel published. And then you go the opposite direction, the opposite extreme altogether and say, I actually am no good at this. Nobody's ever going to want to read my novel. Actually, my work is useless. I don't know why anybody thinks that I can write because I know I can't write. All of that negative stuff we go into. And that means that we've not yet found what our identity is. Let me give you an example. I have a, an identity of being overweight. I'm not overweight. I am 10 stone, 8 pounds, 148 pounds, which I think is about 67 kilograms. So I am not massively overweight. I'm slightly heavier than I'd like to be because I've always been 10 stone or roughly around 10 stone. So I'm slightly over. I'm blaming the pandemic for that. Um, So yeah, I've put on some weight because I'm not exercising the way I used to. So I talk to myself about being fat. I talk to myself about having a huge belly. I talk to myself about looking like I'm seven and a half months pregnant. In fact, at one point, I remember telling myself I looked like I was nine months pregnant. 
I have this image in my head that I am overweight. What I'm having to do, because this is something I've decided I'm working on this now. So I am now somebody who is slim and I'm telling myself that with regularity. It is working because I'm now looking in the mirror and I say, do you know, I actually am slim. I don't look as bad as I thought I looked. I'm wearing clothes that accentuate how I can look slim rather than wearing clothes that hide my body and make me look more overweight than I am. So it's about our identity. I've had this ingrained in me, this body dysmorphia ingrained in me from being a young child. And as a result, I'm now working on saying that identity is not who I am anymore. Who I am now is somebody slim. That's the kind of thing we can do with our writing. Who are we today? Are we someone who writes or are we someone who knows that we are useless at our writing? I want to challenge you to wake up every morning and say to yourself, I am a writer. I write. I write novels. I write blog posts. I write nonfiction. I write memoir. Whatever it is you write, you are a writer. Tell yourself that with regularity. If you struggle with it, and if you find yourself thinking the negative thoughts, ask yourself, How are these thoughts, how is this behaviour that I'm choosing serving me? Is it helping me? Am I actually happy describing myself in this identity? So work through understanding what this behaviour is doing for you. If it's serving you by getting you towards being that published writer, great, keep doing it, go ahead with it. If you know you're a night owl and starting to write at 9pm, I go to bed at 9pm. But if you know you're that night owl and that's when you can get your writing done, do it. Because that's what's fulfilling your identity as a writer. If you're somebody who knows you write best in the morning and you're writing at 9pm at night, it could well be that you're actually sabotaging your abilities to write. So what I want you to think about is how can you now nudge any upper limit problem you've got so that you can create those new habits? What do I mean by that upper limit problem? This actually comes from somebody called Gay Hendricks and he wrote a book called The Big Leap. I'll put it into the show notes so that you can find that. It's a brilliant book and he talks about us all having upper limit problems. No matter what our earnings are, no matter how successful we are, we all have an upper limit problem. Here's a test for you. So I want you to think about what you would like to earn in the next year, the next five years, the next 10 years. Now I can almost guarantee the percentage of increase you will have given yourself there. And that will be based on how you've ingrained within your own mindset, the acceptable level of pay increase for you. So at the moment, it's probably likely to be somewhere between one and 3% a year. You will not have allowed yourself the thought of, I'll double my income in the next five years. I'll triple my income in the next 10 years. Most of us really struggle to say that kind of thing. And that's because we have an upper limit that we have educated ourselves to believe in. Now, if we're going to nudge those habits into something new, We need to play with that upper limit. And the best way to play with our upper limit is to give it a little nudge. So if you're somebody who's saying to yourself, you're going to write 1000 words this week, 
And then you decide you're going to give yourself a nudge for that upper limit in the following week. Perhaps you could say, right, I'm doing a 10% increase on my words. So I will write 1,100 words. Perhaps you could nudge it a bit further the next week. So instead of adding 10%, you add 20%. I can't do the maths for you off the top of my head whilst also recording a podcast. I'll leave you to do that for yourself. But you get what I'm talking about here. You can nudge and then you can nudge a little bit more. So you give yourself that opportunity to go beyond where your habits have been languishing for however long. So if you've believed for a 10-year period that you're not a brilliant writer and you can't get beyond writing 20,000 words, that was me, by the way. I've got so many stories that I wrote that were at 20,000 words. I've got two non-fiction books that I've written. One of them I completed, but then I decided it's not quite right. The other one I got to 20,000 words. So I seem to have a 20,000 word upper limit problem. I need to nudge myself beyond that 20,000 word upper limit. I need to now be saying to myself, I'm going to write 25,000 words and see where that takes me. And then the next time I can try 28,000 words and see where that takes me. And before you know it, you've nudged that habit along. But it's really important here that when you find that new habit that you've nudged along slipping, you look back to see what is my identity? How am I identifying with myself as a writer? Am I identifying with negative thoughts? Am I choosing those negative thoughts? Or am I identifying with myself genuinely as a writer who can do this? That's what will make the difference. Let me give you an example. In my work that I do for my job, I'm a project manager. I manage a series of projects. So I'm a program manager over a number of projects together. Now, when I went into my last job, there was a huge amount of failure going on. They'd done an amazing job at setting goals. They'd even set up some project plans that showed them what they would do every year. Their goals were annual goals. And then people were getting what in the NHS is referred to as red traffic lighted. So that's where you have the traffic light system to say whether you're succeeding, green, that you're slightly off track, but you're going in the right direction, amber, or you are way off track and that's red. And all of these goals were red traffic lighted. That meant that everything they were aiming to deliver on, they weren't achieving. All of the focus had been on the goal and not on the systems that help to achieve that goal. So the first thing I did was say, we're setting a whole new set of goals. We're putting new dates in. I was told I wasn't allowed to do that, but I did it anyway, because I felt it was really important that people could see that they were working towards the goal that they needed to achieve. Once you're red traffic lighted, once you see red on every highlight report, you can't be bothered. What's the point? You've already missed the deadline. There's no point in pushing yourself. So you need a new target. But then you need the systems that help you deliver on that. So what I did was then introduce a load of systems that would work for people. That meant that I had to create what we call highlight reports. So that's showing people the progress that's being made. I then had to encourage people to update their highlight reports on a monthly basis. I gave people goals for every quarter rather than an annual goal. I gave people the tools for how they could work on their project. And I gave people the support that they needed. So if they got stuck with their project, they had someone to turn to and weren't lost on their own. I worked on the systems 
Now, the same can be used with our writing. It can help us so much. So if you're struggling to change your identity from being somebody who is useless at writing, will never finish this novel, blah, 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 change the system. If you want to change the identity and you've given yourself that goal of I'm going to finish my first draft or I'm going to finish my edits so I can submit to an agent. If you're writing nonfiction, you're going to finish your proposal with the sample chapters and you're going to make sure you've got a proposal you can send off, but you're still not getting there. So you've got these goals, whatever your goal is. Now you're going to look at what system will get me there. Now, that might mean that you identify a skills deficit. You might have something that you need to develop your skills in. I've mentioned before how I discovered I needed to change how I was working with dialogue. My dialogue was so stilted and boring and just it really wasn't working at all. So I had to work on my dialogue. And the first thing I did was go off and learn about dialogue. So that skills deficit that I identified, I was then able to do something about. And that's what you can identify for yourself. So if you're not achieving that ultimate goal, if you're not changing your identity, go back and have a look at what systems are you using to help take you to that goal. If you're not getting up every day to write first thing in the morning or staying up and saying, I'm going to write at 9pm. If you're not doing just 10 minutes a day, you're going to take ages to reach your goal and you may not get to your goal at all. The longer it takes us to reach a goal, the harder it is. So if you are somebody, because of life, you might have young children, you might have a a pressured job. If you are somebody who can't give yourself a goal of, I will finish writing my novel in three months. So perhaps you're being realistic and saying to yourself, I'll finish my novel in two years. Two years is too far off to keep you motivated. What I want you to do in that scenario is tell yourself what your goal is for the next three months. That way, you can then do little nudges of that upper limit and make it so that your habits work for you. And if you spot that skills deficit, you can go and work on the skills deficit. It's not failing to hit that goal of the next two years that you're worrying about. It's just a short term goal and you can deal with that. You can manage that. You can shift that goal slightly. Okay, so you might find yourself amber on the traffic light system I mentioned to you about earlier on, but it's okay to be amber because you can catch up again at another time. This is all about being kind to yourself as well. So nudge those upper limits for yourself, create habits that work for you and forgive yourself at times where it's not possible to write so that you can keep on just nudging a little bit here and there. And if all else fails, reframe the annoyance, the anxiety, the disappointment, reframe it all as being, this is all part of the journey. Those butterflies you get in your tummy of anxiety, reframe it, it's excitement. That moment you have the negative thought, stop it and say, thanks for that thought. I'm actually changing that into a positive one. So there you go. You can create habits that work for you by nudging your upper limit. Now you know you've got an upper limit. Look out for it. Spot those times where you tell yourself, that's all I deserve. That's as much as I can do. I can't do any better than that. And start giving yourself the opportunity to improve by just 1% at a time. And who knows, with those little 1% nudges, you may actually discover you're an amazing writer. And I actually believe you truly will discover you are a writer. 
So there we have it. For now, I'm going to wish you happy writing. May the words flow for you. And I'll see you on the next episode.